because all these people are like 10 years younger than him. Mm-hmm. Right. And they don't know what the hell's going on. And they're all stoned out of their minds. Not yeah. to overplay that, but they're all like high as hell. And this weird guy talking about the magus and looking in the crystals <laughs> and well, seeing your old dead <laughs> self in the yeah. stars of, yeah. the, of the inside the jewel. And they're like, dude, like Keith Richards, like, no fucking way. You know? <laughs> so that's probably what we're talking about. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. <laughs> What's up, everybody? It's one fucking hour time. Of course, the show where we talk about one movie for one fucking hour. I am Evan Husney, and we are joined. It's a very special episode. It's a big birthday episode, but it's not this man's birthday, but I'm going to introduce him anyway. Big T. What's going on, Tom? Tom Fitzgerald. Hey. Hey, it's great to do another B-Day episode. Fan favorite episodes, you know. Here we we go. go. This is it. Round two for 2023. That's right. And without further ado, let's introduce the big birthday boy to my right. We got Mr. Marcus Herring. Happy birthday, Marcus. What's going on? Thank you. I'm going to try not to gush too hard here, but I feel really honored tonight. Go to get- crazy. <laughs> it's your birthday. Yeah. It's your Thank birthday. You nuts. Yeah. Thank you for um, letting me pick a movie, you guys. That's like, that's the, um, well, that's hey, the part. Well, once that. a year, Marcus gets a year. To pick, so <laughs> that's not true. Because That's he was was in charge, the lead charge for After Hours, which we just did recently. So that is true. That's All he's right. got two on the board so far. Yeah, so no, I picked a few others, right? No, uh, than that, but yeah, yeah. No, I maybe count them on a hand. You know, yeah, we okay. got some big personalities in the room. You know, so like I have to defer <laughs> sometimes. Fucking Evan guy. Ah, right. this asshole. <laughs> um, uh, all right. Well, well, we should explain for the good people, just in case you're not familiar, the birthday episode uh, sort of high concept here at one fucking hour. It basically means that when it's your it's goddamn birthday. It's very complicated. It is. It's, we really break it down. <laughs> well, when it's your goddamn birthday, you get to pick a movie with no feedback, no pushback from the others. It's it's full you know, indulgence fest for the birthday boy. And we kind of go along with sometimes they're perverse choices. Like Marcus did star Wars 77 last year. Um, or even more perversity from Tom earlier this year when he did BJ Lang presents, which we did live in a studio. We're still getting letters about that. (laughs) We are, (laughs) we are, we are. I got to up my game, I think for this year, but that's not until the fall. So we'll, we'll we'll get that. That, That's not, that's not, yeah, it's not my birthday. I'm gonna go sick though on you boys. I'm gonna go something really truly oh, wow. demented. Yeah, get, watch out. Yeah, something something from cool. my childhood, which will really, you know, I don't yeah. think any of you guys were near. Um, okay, but it's not me. It's Marcus time. Shrek. It's Marcus's. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. Um, it's Big Marcus's birthday, which means we are doing one fucking hour on Kenneth Anger's Lucifer Rising. Yeah. Um, yeah, big boy. Uh, but also another first for us, Marcus. This is also the first time we have ever done a film that is shorter than the length of the show. <laughs> right. That was so great. Cool. It was, I got to watch it twice. You know. Yeah. Yes. It was almost too short. You know. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, twenty-eight minutes. Talking specifically, we're talking about for an hour. About twenty-seven minutes. Yeah. So, yeah. That's a, it's a, that is a little deceptive because. Uh, and this has been on my mind. This title's actually been popping around for a while with, with us. 
But um, I, I will say there's the film, and it's 27 minutes of film. But there, the backstory is one of the backstories of all backstories. Mm -hmm. And I, sometimes I was a little resistant when we first started doing the podcast. It's like, I don't want this to be like 90% you know, backstory explanation and then like a couple opinions. So at first I was like, ah, that thing is inherently, Lucifer Rising is a pick, <laughs> is inherently just backstory, like boop, 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 back up. <laughs> The truck of backstory, and and I'm like, let's do it, and especially because it's you know your birthday pick, but it's just like um, this is backstory time. So. <laughs> well, not only is it short, I mean, there's not a lot of acting in it, and there's not a lot right. of dialogue. So. Right, um, right, exactly. Right. So, so the whole thing is living almost e if equally or even more so, like in in the story of how of how it got to exist, I and it's amazing. Yeah, Someone could I make a documentary about the making. I love you guys, but I got to step in as the ref here because it sounds like you're getting ahead of the clock a little. So uh -oh. let's let's. <laughs> I'm out. Hey, I got to ref this, but as you all know, we've recently reached 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. Thank you very much, everybody, for that. And you know what that means? We've talked about it before, but we are going to embark on our first ever one fucking hour live stream right here on our YouTube channel. More details on that at the end of the show, so stick around. We're going to give you the date, the time, all the particulars for that, so hang on till the end of that. Um, and I hear there's going to be a big announcement we're going to be unveiling during the live Ooh. show, guys. So uh, you're going to want to be there for that. Um, you know what? Right. I might even tune in. That sounds fun. <laughs> you better fucking be there. Uh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> all right. Without further ado, here we are. We're here for Marcus's big birthday, episode 65, one fucking hour on Kenneth Anger's Lucifer Rising. All right, I'm going to get that clock ready and just about ready to kick it off to you, Marcus. Here we go. The clock is live. All right, Marcus, obviously, since it's your big birthday, I think we should quick give the people a little backstory just on what is Lucifer Rising, and can you freestyle that for us on your birthday? Sure, sure. Yeah, so Lucifer Rising is Kenneth Anger's... A 1966 to 1980 film. Uh, it's sort of his um, Aleister Crowley fan fiction, but it's really mm -hmm. just a beautiful um, art film. It's a short film, uh, and it has to do with uh, Crowley's magic. And uh, who's Aleister Crowley? Aleister Crowley. Or oh, we're going to get into that, I guess. But Aleister oh, Crowley, okay. yeah, he was a you know a. Uh, a writer, a uh, occultist. He's probably one of the most the most famous occultist uh, of all time, I guess, or at least the 20th century. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, he uh, wrote a book called Thelema. He had a, a magic uh, religion called Thelema, and he wrote a mm -hmm. book called like not Practical Magic, but it's something kind of like like that. I can't remember the name of it, but he's uh, been uh, someone who's carried the occult interest from his with the time when he was operating like in the 1910s he's always been sort of a figurehead that people have referenced to bring the occult into the 1940s and the 1950s and the 1960s people always sort of had this obsession with him as an individual philosopher uh you know occultist and uh, he basically kind of took all these different elements of religion uh you know judaism uh, I don't know, Zoroastrianism, all kinds of different right. religions from Rosicristianism, old, old, yeah, old paganism and kind of combined it into like a, uh, at a religion that was sort of, I think it was an attempt to approximate hmm. the pagan religion that had been lost in Europe. Once the Christian, once the Romans came through and Christianized everybody, you know, all oh, those Celts shout, and stuff. Shout back, shout, shout out to uh, the previous 
Virgin Spring episode we did, the Bergman right. film. Yes. Uh, yeah, sort of the sort of the the Celtic religions and stuff were lost. The European pagan religions were lost, and um, and I think uh, people and people in the nineteenth century were going back trying to figure out like uh, what what where those witchcraft early Gnostic religions went, and they kind of approximated it by piecing together pieces of religion. So I think that's basically yeah. what, what Crowley did, but. Um, okay. Uh, but the yeah, movie, so this movie is basically movie. kind of yeah. a, takes an element of Crowley's philosophy and puts it visually on screen, almost like a filmed painting or a series of paintings, you know, mm. and it's just a really beautiful art film. Yeah. Very psychedelic, trippy, awesome, really cool, inspiring uh, film. And the man, mm. of course, oh, let's just go around quickly and just touch on, maybe we'll start with Tom and then we'll bounce back to Marcus, but Tom, what's your sort of like origin story or like background with Kenneth Anger, Lucifer Rising, just, just for the, just for the folks at home? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, uh, he's one of those key figures, you know, if you get into all this crazy movie stuff, uh, he automatically <laughs> pops up as a, a yeah. major influence. I mean, Scorpio Rising, that's my favorite of his. And, uh, it's really amazing. I mean, a lot of people say that it's the birth right then, 1963 of, uh, the music video form, um, and uh, and I understand that, and that's a good thing. It's a positive, like compliment to him. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But also, you know, Martin Scorsese uh, says that the the fusion of pop music and montage used in Scorpio Rising, Scorsese and many other people, uh, you know, after the film came out, um, were totally blown away by that, and they never seen anything like it. And to this day, it really holds up as an example of. Um, and we'll get into this more, but uh, you know, of um, of a, a new way of filmmaking, a new way mm -hmm. even within experimental art films, you know, in right? My opinion. Right. So right. It was very groundbreaking. So, so that really grabbed my attention. And specifically, the thing is, I, I never, I don't know if I've ever seen his films in a theater, but like in the '80s at video stores in the late '80s when I started really hitting them up, um, there was Mystic Fire Video. Does any? Do you Whoa. guys remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Oh, okay. So yeah. anyway, so is this, all of his films came out on Mystic Fire Video, and They're like awesome. uh, those are very iconic. <laughs> the box art very iconic. So I always, you know, it, it was beautiful because you could just go to the the, the art artier kind of um, video store, and you just would see all these films. And so I got very well versed in them. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just a huge fan. And uh, again, I'll talk later about his yeah. work. Uh, yeah. Uh, because sometimes I think his mythology. Uh, it, 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 it overshadows his technique because I think he's a really brilliant craftsman. I agree. Uh, with editing and montage, uh, yeah. and montage and um, composition. So, yeah, um, I'm just a fan like a million other people. <laughs> yeah, all. yeah, yeah. Well, same here, yeah. here. I mean, just real quick, you know, I remember working at a video store in the early 2000s and we had one of those Mystic Fire tapes, I, I believe, of Lucifer Rising. And it had, I think it was like a hundred bucks or something. And it was the most yeah, I'd ever yeah. paid for a tape, you know, ever. Oh, you bought it. I bought it. It was long out of print. It hadn't Ooh, come out nice. on DVD yet. And I was like this right. kind of, you know, burgeoning filmmaker trying to make my own stuff. And it really, truly inspired me. And it was like this conversion where I was getting into like 70s Prague and I'm getting into this. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, this was my shit at the time. It's like really one of the most prog rock movies ever made. And it I just, it, yeah, and I just fell in love with it. And so my first ever like short film, which maybe I'll cut to a few frames of right here, I mm -hmm. made around the same time, you know, probably 1920 and, uh, you know, around when I made it and I made it and it was like very taken up pages out of 
the, this movie, like just ripping it off, basically. That's great. And trying to on, make on, a visual uh, videotape on VHS. I made it on VHS because I was trying to mimic the look of what Lucifer Rising looked like oh, on VHS. The Mystic Fire video. Look. Yes, yes, I Ball was. Burn. I was going. I was going I for that. Mystic now Fire, awesome. and then, and then, um, and then just just real real fast. Like I had made the film, you know, it's no dialogue, it's music, just to, like surreal imagery, same thing as was Verizon. It, it played one screening, okay? It played one screening, and people were so fucking um, bored and upset oh, by it. I didn't know what you were gonna say, by the way. You because yeah. you paused. It was like blown people away. Were so fucking. <laughs> Two, three, yeah. like, like blown away, and you were like no. bored. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, so bored. And, okay. and 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 some. This is true. People were there who could verify this. One guy was so mad at the movie, he screamed uh-huh. out loud, "Get this Pink Floyd shit off the screen!" Which to me now is a major compliment. It's a huge compliment. So, yeah, I got to see this. What is uh, it? Was it like, uh, you know, like two and a half hours long? You know, it was about twenty-seven minutes. <laughs> Okay. But it felt like you it was know, perfect. Yeah, it was a perfect all right, all right. For, so, uh, for a reason. But Marcus's Marcus, relationship with the, yeah. the film? It's not my birthday. Yeah, so um, you know, when I was trying to pick a birthday episode, I always try to pick something that's meaningful to me in some way. That's why Star Wars was big to me as a kid. And really, this film is just a way for me sideways to work in like my second favorite band of all time, Led Zeppelin. <laughs> so... It's really just a Led Zeppelin episode for me, but um, that that is where it all started for me was with, I read when I was uh, 14 years old, I read Hammer of the Gods, the Led Zeppelin unauthorized biography. I did too around that same time, yeah. You did, yeah. That's the Baby Shark biography, right? Yes. Yep, yep, Yep. the the, the shark one. Um, If you don't read it when you're 14, you probably won't, you know, but um, yeah. So they, they, they talk a few times about Kenneth Anger, and they talk about Hollywood Babylon. They make a they make a connection between the Fatty Arbuckle and the shark incident, oh. you know. Um, <laughs> and and so I was really intrigued by like well, that, you know. Of course, oh, wow. I, I bought Hollywood Babylon as a kid from a used bookstore. Um, and then it talked about this film Lucifer Rising that Jimmy Page was supposed to do the soundtrack for. And it got into the drama, and it got into Kenneth Anger like talking shit about Jimmy Page, and I was like. Wait, this guy's name's Kenneth Anger. I and he's know, like, mm. right? Oh, he's got balls enough to like stand up and, and talk shit about Jimmy Page. You know, like who is this guy? <laughs> um, and then uh, it being like a supposedly like a satanic movie, you know, or a, uh, talking about Lucifer, you know, just as my teenage brain, who was like, you know, uh, I was a child of the satanic panic era. Mm-hmm. You know, you're always on the lookout for like devil worshippers, and it's really scary as a kid so that was still in my brain and i thought about this movie in my head it was like this really scary satanic thing that if you got into it it would like steal your brain basically and that you would go down that path you know like so that was that's what this movie was in my well, mind well, that's I find, why i wanted to ask you yeah go ahead uh, just um the, what uh help me out here like uh i had heard that kenneth announced that he was putting a hex on jimmy page and yeah. by extension led zeppelin and yeah. then people they get into that I, okay and okay so I'd, I'd heard that and just the last thing is help me out here in the details but like i had heard that then around the time of the the hexing of mm-hmm. led zeppelin yeah. uh sure enough all those bad things happened there was right you know, like the accident and i think robert plant's son passed away things like that help me yep. out there yeah so supposedly so he, he put a uh, jimmy page didn't finish the film he did put a uh, didn't finish the music 
uh, they, they had a conflict. I think we'll get into it a little bit more later, but he did yeah. put a hex on him, uh, a curse. And it was like <laughs> sending mean, it was basically like sending mean letters <laughs> to his, to the swan song office. But, um, yeah, so people did interpret the bad things that happened to Led Zeppelin. Yeah, Robert Plant got into a car wreck. His, um, you know, mess. He was in a wheelchair when they recorded Presence. Presence was like not a great album, you know, by most most of the way. And then they, they kind of, that's the work of a cursed <laughs> band. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, like the only person okay. who supposedly the only person nothing bad happened to was John Paul Jones because he wasn't into the whole Satan thing. You know, and look but what happened to John Bonham a few years later. Yeah, I yeah. am. Wow. But the, the the truth of the matter is the the the, the dates don't add up. Like uh, the Robert okay. Plant's accident happened before the curse. So. Oh, okay. okay, okay. But just to put the cap on, like just the interest level. When I finally saw the films, I was like, uh, I just it, you know, obviously my perspective changed on it so much. It's such a beautiful film, and I I just got really inspired the same way you did, Evan, by just the filmmaking the DIY-ness of it, you know, reminded yeah. me of David Lynch, you know, like a racer head mm-hmm. or something, you know, that mm-hmm. you could, you know, film, make a movie with these limited means, you know, of course he's got rock star friends or whatever, but, um, yeah, you know, I just found it all very inspirational. Yeah. So, like homegrown psychedelia, you know, it's very, mm-hmm. it's cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, well that's awesome. And yeah, I mean, we're going to, we're, we're going to expand upon a lot of the things you guys were mentioning. I'm sure this isn't the first hex we're going to talk about this hour. Um, there's <laughs> no. a lot to get into. And I just wanted to say, I think Hammer of the Gods is tied with Star Wars, the Bounty Hunter book as maybe one of the first books I ever read. Those two are very linked, you know, to me, you know, so I don't know, whatever. Yeah. But um, <laughs> all right. Awesome. So, yeah. Uh, but let's get into Kenneth Anger because I think we really should spend a big fat chunk on him because he's the man of the hour in many ways. I mean, you are Marcus, but Kenneth Anger is the dude who, you know, without this, there wouldn't obviously be the movie, but he's such an influential, enigmatic, crazy, weird character in, in film history, you know, and, and something. Who, who, and look, let's let's yep. let's add. He's still with us. I know. He's like wow. he's like dangerously close to hitting uh, three digits. He's I almost 100. Know. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. And I saw I him um, and it was, it's been actually like six years, but I saw him at uh, the old 101 cafe that's now closed. Wow. Uh, he was sitting there with a the Lucifer jacket. And he was at the counter, like Living the gimmick. soup. And I was like, yeah. "What the fuck?" You know? Yeah, I love that. Still, <laughs> love. That. At least then he was still active, you know. Yeah. Well, he's Incredible. got a long he's doing something right. Yeah, he's just. I mean, it, yeah, it is amazing when you think about someone who's still with us, who was a child actor appearing in movies in the '30s, you know, which is crazy. Yeah, with Mickey you know, Rooney. I was just gonna Mickey say. Rooney. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I was just gonna say alongside Tom's other icon of surrealism, Mickey Rooney. Um, <laughs> but, um, but uh, yeah. So I mean, yeah. So he 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 dates back to that early time of the Twalkies, um in that era of Hollywood. I mean, that's kind of I'm, I'm guessing where a lot of the interest in that time period, wanting to bury everybody with Hollywood Babylon, that book that he made, very <laughs> infamously you, you touched on. But I mean, he kind of lived that world, which is kind of amazing back then in the 30s. Yeah. And yeah. then the 40s roll around and, you know, he makes this movie called Fireworks in 1947, which is a groundbreaking movie for several different reasons. I just wanted to just give a few minutes on this because it's so important to describing who he is. I mean, first and foremost, it's the it's credited as the first openly gay narrative film ever in the U.S., which is yeah. a big milestone. But um, he's kind of credited with Fireworks, which is the sort of black and white, you know, again, 
not sync sound it's music you know it's it's it, it's very um it's it's a really cool movie and he's credited as really kind of helping to create independent filmmaking period you know um which yes. is really interesting i mean in, in 1941 just a quick little history you know backing up the the um the backstory bus here for a second in 1941 the Society of Independent Motion Picture Producers, which, you know, was Chaplin, Mary Pickford, David Oselznick, you know, those people who were worried about the growing monopolization of Hollywood and the big studios, they formed this deal. And their big initiative was to try and get lightweight film cameras in the hands, like the same cameras they used to document World War II in the hands of other filmmakers, you know, uh, less expensive Cubics. means to make, yeah, yeah, to make movies. And um, this movie... And Meshes in the Afternoon by Maya Darren, which is another one of the early experimental kind of breakthrough movies that we still talk about today, are the two most well-known films from that era using those cameras and being supported by right. the society. So it's just, he's quick, right there at the forefront. Out. Yeah. And, and quick shout out to the LA Underground. You know, like uh, New York often takes a lot of the, uh, the oxygen yeah. out of the room. True. Uh, and, and deservedly so in a lot of ways as being, you know, on the cutting edge of um, 20th century experimental avant-garde works. But boy, as far as film, I mean, of course, there's Hollywood in, in the shadow, but like L.A. Uh, underground film was is very strong. And it's not just those two guys, you know. Um, no, no. So uh, it, yeah. it, it's, it's really a fascinating period. And, uh, you know, and fireworks is well worth seeking out, you know, and it, and it has... Um, it's it's a very much a Kenneth Anger film. It's because it, he was like twenty one or something, and he it's was insane. fully realized as an artist. Is what I'm yeah. trying to say. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really crazy. Um, and so then that would kind of establish him, and then he basically, you know, would go on the rest of his career making these short form, sort of, you know, experimental films. Um, but he he kind of characterizes most of his work as that he's always made silent films with music, which is another interesting mm -hmm. kind of connection to that old hollywood silent era thing that you know he would be fascinated with yeah would he be mm -hmm. fascinated with with hollywood babylon but also kind of be a part of as a child actor so it is kind of this weird thing where like he's kind of appropriating his experiences with old hollywood but kind of reinterpreting it in this like experimental freak out kind of way you know which is cool yes. i think that's cool totally um it's it's not about uh the spoken word so much uh the original yeah. the original version of like what filmmaking is he, uh, here and in europe you know what i mean like a lot of artists were think weren't even thinking of film as having like you know like uh, dialogue from a play that kind of thing you know mm -hmm. so right. he you're right he's coming from that sort of um, um primordial version of like filmmaking pure he yeah. had the pure cinema i read that I heard him say that you know he went to uh, he went after you know after fireworks he went like Cocteau like invited him to go to Paris you know and like uh, and there he discovered like he was I forget through some French organization was like exposed to like the Melier films and so he and he was really inspired by that DIY kind of like you could that you could make a film in a short in a small set you know and in in yeah you could make a movie there because mm -hmm. he he said that when he, when he grew up. Yeah, he, uh, coming out of that big Hollywood thing, he that's what he always wanted to do is make these films on a big studio stage, you know. But then yeah. when he went to Paris, he discovered the Meliers and was like, oh, you could make movies that way. And that really inspired, he felt really inspired by that. And that's you cool. could totally, I mean, it feels very yeah. true with everything you're talking about, like the silent films and just his approach to filmmaking. And stuff. It, 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 like when I read that, like a, a bell went off, you know, like, oh, it's starting to, He's starting to make it a little bit more sense to me now where he's coming from. Yeah. yeah. And, well, one thing yeah. I wanted to mention too, Evan, and if we're going through like sort of the story 
of Kenneth Anger. I just wanted to uh, plant a seed in this where uh, we're going to talk about how this film, Marcus alluded to it, that this film's, you know, date, Lucifer Rising, it's like 1966 to 1980. Yeah. Like, yeah. huh? <laughs> and um, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is like he had a huge problem in the 50s. And so as we're, you know, he did fireworks and there's these enormous time gaps in poor Kenneth's work because, of course, he was doing things that were scandalous aesthetically yeah. and, of course, content. But, like, there was supposed to be this really beautiful voodoo film. Yeah. A film where he depicted, like, imagine Kenneth Anger in the 50s, I think it was Color, made a film about the voodoo's rituals of, of Haiti. Yep. And it was right. confiscated by, like, yep. Kodak. The lab, yeah. Like fucking, yeah, it was like lab. It was like burned. So that like, you know, he lost like five years right there. So he was having these kind of problems throughout his whole career. And so in a way, um, I think he's always felt that he himself has a hex on him and that he is cursed for whatever mm. reason. Hmm. And I think he could, he could, uh, he, he's, I don't know, he's always coming from this stance of like fighting against almost like unseen cosmic forces to get this done. So in a weird way, it's I think a great achievement simply that like Lucifer Rising did cross the finish line mm -hmm. because it looks like it was kind of his most difficult work in a career of having barely gotten through getting any of these like 13 minute films completed. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He had like everything, he, he didn't just have, and we'll get into this, he didn't just have, you know, like censors, uh, you know, like fighting him and people not exhibiting his stuff, but he had like no. sick shit fighting him. Well, I mean, <laughs> he had the fucking lab. I mean, we should be clear on that. Like the lab processing right. that voodoo film, you say, is like alleged to have destroyed the all of the materials of the film when they saw these like sacral, what they deemed to be sacrilegious imagery. Nudity too. Yeah, right. and it's like, you know, and that's just like crazy. Like you got to be able to trust your lab, man. Um, but, um, <laughs> Scary. Yeah, but uh, Marcus, you, you, you also brought up Cocteau real quick just and just to you know, connect those dots too. It's like, you know, Rabbit's Moon is another one of his movies. Mm -hmm. It's kind of worth just as a quick shout out because it's so influential. Right. Um, it's very, you know, people say it must have had a huge influence on David Lynch and you can see it in every frame, but also Definitely. You, can, you can see Cocteau and like Beauty and the Beast. You can see that kind of influence creeping in with Rabbit's mm -hmm. Moon. Um, and it's also noteworthy because with Scorpio Rising, which we'll talk about here on the road to Lucifer Rising, is kind of mm -hmm. the thing, you know, the, Rabbit's Moon and Scorpio Rising are the two things that are really credited as, you know, uh, using the modern pop music, which you never saw, modern pop music as a soundtrack to a movie. And that's the thing you alluded to in terms of what really inspired, like, Scorsese with Mean Streets. I mean, we take... How much do we take advantage of, like, the fact of, like, you know, I was just watching the fucking Nike biopic on whatever, Amazon, today, mm -hmm. and it's like every right. second is is another pop song, you know, like you take, music, we, we take... Uh, yeah, like, music supervision as a, as a soundtrack is a score. Yeah. No, like, you know, some old old school, like, uh, record dealer guy that I knew in the 90s, he, he helped me have some awareness. He said, you know what, buddy, before Easy Rider it really wasn't common that a soundtrack would be comprised of just a bunch of fucking songs. And I, I was know. like, oh, okay. You know, and so, and, and that's even later, you know, Easy Rider is, by the way, also influenced by Scorpio Rising, very much yeah. so. Totally. Uh, you know, yeah. shout out to Dennis Hopper, LA mm -hmm. underground world guy too. And so um, anyway, just not to get sidetracked in that too much, but just like um, it was, there was, a, there was a, a before and an after with Scorpio Rising because it's almost like people didn't even no artist even was cognitive to do that. It just wasn't even like I know. considered 
I know. And, and it is an interesting thing that's getting very pop art and Andy Warhol, mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, considered trash, you know, like my boyfriend's back. And that's going to be playing at a, at, a, at a haughty kind of French cinematech, you know, like it's such yeah. trash, you know. So yeah. <laughs> he's an early guy who was doing like trash in the art house. Yeah. Big shout out to him on that, too. Totally. Yeah. 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 Um, so. Unless without, if unless you want to just quickly, we should get into it. Just like I'm looking at the clock as always, um, but you know, Scorpio Rising, we can just sort of just hit real quick because it is important on the road to, as I mentioned, Lucifer Rising. I mean, one thing he sort of mentioned is that it's like uh, I have this this the way his quote of how he describes Scorpio Rising, which I always love, is he calls it. This is what he says of it: It's Brando bikes, black leather, Christ chains and cocaine a high view of the american cyclist a machine as totem from toy to terror thanatos in chrome and black leather and bursting jeans oh that's tight that's a synopsis that, <laughs> yeah that's, that's kenneth anger baby yeah, yeah. beautiful yeah, yeah it's beautiful um yeah scorpio rising just um you know amazing influential movie i mean I, and it was I, a hit you yeah. know like uh just to explain that it was still a short but it was actually double featured um, almost always um, in the uh, Cinema 16 sort of network of, um, you know, like uh, places that played experimental films, not just in New York and L.A. and San Francisco, yeah. but all throughout the country. But it was in a package with Chafed Elbows by everybody's mm. favorite, Robert Downey Sr. So that was always that would fill it out and be like a feature length uh, program because um, Chafed Elbows is like an hour or something. So Scrubby Rising was a really big hit, you know. Um, and it was easily his big moment. And so, and I, just to help along like um, the, the slow journey towards, uh, you know, uh, getting to the film we're talking about today. But like, um, so he, he was on top of the world with Scorpio Rising. And then um, he got like a grant from fuck, like the Ford Foundation or Getty or something like that. He got, cause he was the man for a second. And he was the guy to bet on in underground film. And uh, something, he blew the money and uh, he couldn't, Oh, well, he tried to do custom car commandos, right? which there's only like one minute of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that was supposed to be a film, which sounds like it would be my favorite film, of uh, like, like um, you know, Big Daddy Roth customized guys <laughs> in this like kind of gay, like, like cloud heaven <laughs> fantasy world mm-hmm. of like, like metal flake colors and tangerine, you know, like uh, custom hot, hot rods and stuff like that. And hot he just, everything... And- Right, and everything went wrong, and he lost all the money. It all was blown, and he had one minute to show for it for with custom car commandos. So there's more problems here in the, for him in the mid-'60s. And then it gets even worse when he checks out San Francisco in the summer of love, and he thinks, now it's my place, now it's my time. <laughs> Let's make a movie, right? So, guys, what's next? <laughs> well, Marcus, where, where do you want to start in terms of you know, because there's a lot to get into here in terms of the backstory of Lucifer Rising, because it's 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 pretty fascinating. I mean, in terms of you know, uh, go ahead, take it away. Where where where, where do you think? Yeah, we should- sure. I think we could start sequentially there. I mean, like because uh, it's going to get into the music, and that's some of the big parts of it for me. Um, but I sure. think uh, yeah. So like Tom said, he 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 uh, rented a big a mansion in San Francisco called what was it called? The worst with a it's like a well, famous sort of like mansion the, in the Russian embassy. The Russian embassy, right? I've been right. there, by the way. Yeah. I just remembered that, like right now. I oh. went to a party there. It's amazing. Wow. It overlooks the uh, Panhandle Park. It's amazing. 
Yeah, There's, Russian uh, embassy. We have an awesome <coughs> picture of it with Bobby Beausoleil on the uh, steps there. Um, but uh, yeah, so he, I guess he, he, he set up there and started and was started making the well he started setting out to find his um his his uh his lucifer right so he uh he had been a crowleyite since 1950 i guess which is pretty funny to think of someone that was into the occult in 1950 and yeah i guess he just not to go away from san francisco but just for a second he did travel to uh crowley's like abbey called like thelema abbey and restore some erotic paintings that were like on the walls that had been covered up by Mussolini's police guard. Wow. They had been painted over white, and he had uh, take, taken off the white paint and uh, revealed these like erotic drawings. That, and he got some attention for that too. Like Kinsey, the uh, the big like uh, sex uh, you know researcher, who had yeah. gone over there to view the drawings afterwards and stuff. Wow. Anyway, so he had this he had this fascination with with Crowley, and I think he wanted to. Um, he, he he's sort of doing like a, a biopic on Crowley at one point that didn't ever materialize, right? Oh, wow. And uh, then I think he, you know, when he landed in, the, in San Francisco, he he wanted to do something that was like uh, that featured the, the teenage movement of the moment. They get into the hippies, and they, I think that was part of his early pitch was like the now generation show what they're up to, you know. But I think he always wanted to weave in his uh his his crowley stuff so yeah. uh he went to a, a concert right went to a show and saw um bobby bolsley had a band called like the what was it called the oz right oz yeah and uh it was some sort of event with like some bobby was like backing up some topless dancers i guess with his band mm-hmm. And uh, he was being lascivious, like like licking the dancers or something. And and uh, and and wait, side note, yeah. very attractive young man. Like Bobby Beausoleil mm. was like movie star handsome. You know? Yeah, and and we should also just say, just for the people you know at home, that you know Bobby Beausoleil would go on to actually he's he did the finished score for Lucifer Rising, but he's a key player here. Years before the movie oh, was it's just shut. beginning with with just double beginning, B, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, double. B. He's also a very infamous character. We'll get yeah. into that too. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that too. I mean, this is my understanding is that they sort of met, you know, following this concert, and they had this very bizarre relationship, where you know, obviously Kenneth Anger, a gay man, Bobby Beausoleil, very young, what. 19 if that maybe even at the time tops yeah tops and 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 they lived together and they sort of had this relationship that a lot of people were like what's going on there between these two guys you know and they kind of were you know and and a lot of people i i I say that anger was like in love with him but that they never really made it to you know home you know home plate on that one (laughs) but you know i I think bobby was pretty pretty clearly straight yes with no ambiguities that's what i'm trying to say you know, not going to happen. Right. But they, but, but they, but they started to clash, you know, like they were close, they were friends, they lived together, but they would get into these like crazy like arguments and they would clash constantly. And it sort of led to, I mean, I don't know where this lies in the chronology of the story, but as long, but what I've been told, if we're talking about another hex here, that Bobby Beausoleil, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they like got into some huge fight, and there was film yeah. footage that Anger had started to film with Bobby, yeah. right? Well, wait, as, let's be clear. The yeah. first reels of yeah. what it was called, Lucifer Rising, mm-hmm. yeah. in 1966-67, yeah. those first reels uh, are what we're talking about here. Yeah. 
that Bobby he, he managed he managed to cast Bobby by uh, in the film, but he convinced him to be a part of it. Bobby agreed to do it as long as he would be able to do the soundtrack because he had this right. band and he thought like, well, yeah. he, you know, he, he knew that Kenneth was like a a, a thing, and he, I think he thought yeah. it was a way to like launches music you know okay. so he agreed to be to play the part as long as he got to do the soundtrack for the movie right which which you know hey hey that's a you know good that's a great but, so uh, what's the pro- so the problem tactic. started uh, so the problem started they basically had issues they were clashing and the, as the story goes a lot of conflicting reports on this but basically those first reels that tom was mentioning bobby had stolen right he had stolen the reels and he had started to drive uh, down to Los Angeles, and at this time, yeah. Kenneth Anger is very upset at Bobby, <laughs> and this is when um, he decides to put a hex on Bobby. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. and you know, we should say too, we should say that you know Kenneth Anger is known to tell tall tales and mythologize yeah, yeah. a lot of stuff. Well, how about this? That's not his real name. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <It starts> <laughs> <Right>. there. <laughs> yeah. His real name is like Kenneth Angler or something like that. <laughs> yeah. you know. Right. So but, yeah, yeah, he's so, a myth. He's he 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 understands the power of self mythos. Right. But mm-hmm. let me land the plane. So what he does is he puts the hex on Bobby, and that's apparently right around the time when Bobby's car breaks down in front. He meets someone of Spawn Ranch, and oh. meets. Some 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 a little old group there called the Manson family. And uh, that's where he wanders into, and you can, you know, guess what sort of unraveled from there. But, you know, sadly, Bobby Beausoleil got wound up in that whole scene, and he was the first, I think, right? He's the first of any of the guys to have been sort of manipulated into committing homicide, and Bobby Beausoleil stabbed, uh, what's his name, Uh, Tom? You're the Glenn Glenn Hinman or something like that? Gary Hinman. Gary Hinman. He was a music teacher and a friend of... uh, of the of the of the family, uh, and he, uh, you know, it all gets very street level and like you know cash level, and like they, he probably just like was trying to like rob Hinman, and it and all went wrong, and went wrong, I think they yeah. were trying to like torture him to like give up all his money, and whoops, right. he died. So and so there that's goes the deal. A, another Kenneth Anger curse, maybe right? there is, yeah, and you know, <laughs> real weird. quick, just and then. Just to give Double B a side of the story, he denies he ever stole the film in the first place. But, you know, Anger basically mythologized it even further to say that Bobby yeah. had either destroyed the prints or buried them in the desert somewhere. But Well, there's but, there's there's there, part of the folklore is that like, yeah, folklore. along with a, a, like the 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 uh, a severed head here and there somewhere still yeah. in Death Valley <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. are two film reels in Death Valley. <laughs> That's you know? awesome. That's like, yeah, awesome. Like undiscovered. And someone's going to discover that thing in like 30 years. Oh, so, please. But again, please. you're right. I actually thought it was a realer story than I didn't really hear that. Well, anger, I thought it did happen. Bobby, well, Bobby's version of it sounds plausible and he's saying that like you know yeah. kenneth is basically um had some loans out on the film and he wasted the money oh. and uh and that he made up the story so that that oh. it was stolen or he just started saying that it was stolen to kind of to avoid. raise more money yeah. no to raise more money i thought for the right. for okay. what, what it would be <laughs> right, right. yeah which hey, he's the victim now like help the yeah. victim allegedly work allegedly oh this this God. kid he came in my life <laughs> this fucking sounds manson family plausible. guy he stole my shit you know, we got to get some more money. Wow. So anyway, so Bobby out of the picture and now enter in new um, composer, Marcus. I think this is your, your in here, right? Should we go here now? 
Are we going to go here? Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, uh, yeah, so I just, yeah, so he, Kenneth Anger, like, announced he, uh, when the film was lost, uh, he got really, you know, demoralized, and uh, and he decided to kind of, to drum up some more uh, press for himself, he announced his death as a filmmaker and placed a big ad in the paper saying, Kenneth Anger, nineteen forty seven to nineteen sixty seven or whatever, right. and uh, and he left. <laughs> he did a big show in New York, and then he, and then he left. And did, I think he did the same thing in New York. Put a big ad in the paper with his death, and then as a filmmaker, and then he fled to swing in London, and uh, where he uh, met up with Robert Fraser, who is the uh, the famous gallery owner. Who and the one of the wild things about Kenneth Anger, just how many famous cool people's lives that he touched it's like unreal uh, unreal it's unreal like like to be clear to be clear it's the indica gallery right. which at exactly that time was <laughs> sh- exhibiting yoko ono wow around that <laughs> wow. exact time that wow. john lennon meets yoko ono mm. so because it was it, indica gallery was the place to go if there was an opening you would see Keith Richards, you would see Mick. John and Paul, and you would mm-hmm. see Marion Faithful. And and then you would also see Baba Kenneth Anger, who you know what? I bet half the reason he knew all these people was because he's Kenneth Anger and he's probably very commanding and he probably had a good rap. He probably could talk and and, and you know, because all these people are like ten years younger than him. Mm-hmm. Right, and they don't know what the hell's going on, and they're all stoned out of their minds. Not yeah. to overplay that, but they're all like high as hell. And this weird guy talking about the magus and looking in the crystals <laughs> and well, seeing your old dead <laughs> self in the yeah. stars of, yeah. the, of the inside the jewel, and they're like, dude, like Keith Richards, like, no fucking way, you know. <laughs> so that's probably what we're talking about. That's always been my. Theory. Also, no, that makes sense. They're also all. They're all. You're right. You're 100 percent right. They're all on drugs. You know, like like the it crowd. All those people. They're on drugs. But also, yep. there wasn't much like stoner shit to like watch then. You know, and so he yep. probably made a lot of the shit that went really it paired really well with whatever they were taking. You know, absolutely, right. Absolutely. Especially side note is uh you know like and the embers of <laughs> Lucifer Rising's first existence. Uh, it became invocation of my demon brother, which right. I love. That's me that too. Sucker's sick, and that's yeah. all like loose ends and little pieces of stuff that, that were going to. In, the intention was to wind up in Lucifer Rising version one. You know, the soundtrack is, of course, obviously, <laughs> an incredibly abusive, ugly, psychotic, like like um, hardcore, <laughs> like Moog drone by. Mick Jagger, Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones. You know? <laughs> I know. So, amazing. Yeah. Check that hey. shit out, guys. If you haven't seen it, it's on YouTube. I actually realized I had a little more notes on the Bobby Beausoleil thing. Just real quick, then we'll get back to, Jim, to, to Jimmy Page, the in- entrance of that. I, I forgot that Bobby 19, Kenneth 40, they live together. Okay, they, many reports mm-hmm. is that they were in a relationship, but a lot of people said they weren't. Kenneth Anger was jealous when he would bring women back to the house, and everyone described that Kenneth Anger had an impressionable hold on Bobby Beausoleil, which is kind of weird because that means maybe he was primed for somebody like Charlie Manson. Kind of weird in sure. that way. Mm-hmm. But people Again, said he had very a hold on. young minds. Young on minds. Lots of drugs. Yes, it exactly. Happens. It happens. It does. Right. And people were but, really open to like new experiences and new ways of living at that time. Right. And You're very, even making a psychotic, way. even making a psychotic witchcraft mistake 
is better than being, you know, drafted and going to Vietnam and like getting married yeah. and, and, and working at Safeway. So, you know, <laughs> it was all part of the fun. Yeah. And so, but Kenneth Anger had some sort of psychological breakdown at the time. Then mm -hmm. they had a huge falling out and he stole the reels and left. So just to clear that up. Okay, now now we're back. Lucifer Rising. Maybe just really quickly before you get into the Zeppelin of it all and the and the Jimmy Page, let's just say what he was trying to do with the film because we should kind of describe what he was trying to do with the movie. Um, my interpretation is um, <clears throat> with the Crowley of it all. This was kind of his big Crowley fan fiction, as you said at the top of the show. But his his sort of he he took the Crowley definition of Lucifer. Which, um, you know, is not the Christian devil. It's not that black and white. According to Crowley, you know, Lucifer is the god of beauty and light, you know, and that's what his name actually means. Lucifer's the name means I bring the light. I am the light bearer. And so, you know, in this idea was he wanted to create this movie that sort of fused like the Egyptian iconography you know where you have you know the fit you basically have lucifer being heralded by osiris the egyptian god of the dead and isis the god of life and you know this is this whole movie like with crowley is really just kind of that pagan celebration of all things carnal in life you know and that's mm -hmm. what he's trying to make with this which is really this is you know kenneth's magnum opus so that's what he's trying to make yeah with this it is i think to, to add to that i think it's like you know like uh, the characters that we see lucifer lilith shout out to lilith fair you know um like i think that uh, they are he he's saying that basically uh or crowley was saying basically that these these characters that appear in other religions that appear in judaism or christianity like lucifer that they that they were real gods before right. but the christians like <laughs> came along and uh, and absorb them and say like, well, yeah, Lucifer, he is a real God, but he's actually the devil, you know? Mm. And so like, and so he's trying to get to like a, right. a, a pre-Christian era where there were all these different gods and it was all part of like, uh, the same religion or whatever, ISIS and, uh, and, and Lucifer and stuff. Um, right. so yeah, that's so, part of the symbol, the symbolism that we're seeing play out as these, like these gods, uh, <coughs> these human representations of, of real world gods, Isis, Osiris, Lilith, Lucifer, and then a human being like a magician, an adept magi magician who's like trying to conjure Lucifer. And, and who, we see the ritual play who out. Kenneth originally wanted played by Mick Jagger, by the right. way. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, this is some prog rock shit here uh, for sure. Um, but let's, let's get into um, the Jimmy Page of it all because it is a big reason why we're talking about this tonight yeah well well the funny thing i think is that like well tom said like that the, the, you know kenneth seems like this weird sort of uh occultist guy who's probably blowing the minds of like mick and keith and stuff but <laughs> jimmy page separately was super into alistair crowley yeah uh, which and i guess it was sort of in the zeitgeist of the time like there was an autobiography of crowley that was released in 69 you know there were people that were kind of carrying on his story uh you know the the uh, manly the philosophical research society guy from here in la you know sort oh. of transmuting right. crowley's message you know from the 19 teens 1920s through the 40s through the 50s and then you know um to kenneth anger but somehow uh jimmy page i'm not sure what his in initial introduction to crowley was but he was into him before he met kenneth anger and they actually met at an auction where they were both bidding on <laughs> Corrali items, oh, wow. which is no pretty kidding. incredible. 
I nerd alert. That. Yeah, nerding they started out. talking <laughs> yeah. and uh, wow. and realized that they were both huge, you know, uh, fans. You can relate or to this, Evan. It's like, uh, oh yeah, you know, oh, yeah. it's like you buy a comic book and uh, yeah. you look up oh, and yeah. it's Kenneth Anger wants the same comic book. Let's <laughs> <laughs> talk, brother. Sorry. So, uh, yeah, they were. Evan's they were super. Life. Yeah, so I think uh, he basically pitched to him what he was doing because I think he was already working on it. Like Robert Fraser let let Kenneth Anger set up in his apartment. Mm-hmm. And he started like, oh, shoot your movie here. So he was like, you know, painting the floor, doing all these things, set, putting up a set, shooting. He was already kind of shooting his work. And then he bumped into Jimmy Page and basically said like, hey, I'm making this movie. And what year you is know, this? I don't know if he knew Led Zeppelin or not, but he obviously knew that Jimmy Page was hot shit at that time. Okay. And was like, uh, you know, because it's 70, is this 70 or 71? It is like around like some peak wow. Zeppelin. Oh, wow. Um, it's Zeppelin peak. 4, guys. Yeah, <laughs> album with like a bunch of fucked up symbols. I mean, it sounds yeah. like the kind of guy that Ken wants to talk to, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> right. so. <laughs> yeah, Zoso. So he basically here. says, Fence like, let's so do the soundtrack, uh, you know, Zoso? and and um, and I'll give you fifty-fifty. We'll share of the film, you know, like we'll we'll split the profits or whatever. Oh, okay. So Jimmy agreed to that. It sounded good to him, and he's a big. Crowley person, so away away they went. And he well, in fact, he, did he not buy Crowley's estate, uh, Jimmy Page? Yeah, he bought. So he bought. It's called Boleskine Boleskine House. It's like on Loch Ness. It's Crowley's uh, house on. on Loch Ness. So he bought that, he and then Kenneth went to go stay there. Uh, you know, Jimmy Page let him use the editing equipment that they used for song wow. remains the same so they oh, bought this really? they bought this editing equipment for song remains the same they let um and they it never used, used it, but at I'm that sure. point yeah, yeah right. <laughs> once. it's a joke about how bad that movie is yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was cursed <laughs> also cursed <laughs> um, yeah true. but so yeah he let him use that editing equipment and stay at his house and stuff like that like, hey sh- yeah. actually in song remains the same it might, might be wrong here marcus uh you're the guy, but that incredible moment when uh, Jimmy Page is introduced in the opening of Song Remains the Same. Mm-hmm. When he turns around, he's playing a hurdy gurdy or something. He turns around, oh, and his fucking eyes are like, eyes. like purple. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is that the estate? I think I believe so. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like sitting on that rug. Love that. Love that. So, (laughs) so then, correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I've heard, this was also um, JP's big heroin period, or that's what at least Mm -hmm. Kenneth Anger said. And so, like, Homeboy just like did not turn the soundtrack in. Yeah, yeah. So from like. Yeah, yeah it, I think he. Uh, so I mean, but before Jimmy Page was on the soundtrack, he was uh, Kenneth was actually using Adam Hart Mother. So this is like the second soundtrack. Whoa, so he was using like whoa. there was supposedly a Pink version Floyd of Adam Hart the Mother, the Pink Sorry. Floyd album. Yeah, I'm <laughs> floating around. Right. Yeah. So uh, that was used for a while. Then uh, cool. Jimmy Page recorded about 20 minutes wow. of music, and that was the soundtrack for like about three years, I guess, as he was. Wow. Uh, working on this film, so basically, like back then, I think it maybe was a different little different thing for filmmakers. You would work on your film, show a rough cut publicly, get funds to complete it, you know, and still. So it's uh, you know, it's a little maybe some people maybe still do that now, but it's I think that for someone like right. Kenneth Anger, he was more public about it. He was a bit of a celebrity, right? So he could do that. Maybe help me out here. This is uh, I think an important detail. This I want my imagination to get this right, mm-hmm. but is it not true that there? I guess still in existence is a rough 16 millimeter reel that has the page soundtrack and that yeah. is the source 
of anything you hear of the Jimmy Page soundtrack. It's just pulled from the 16 millimeter that would be shown to, yeah. I don't know, at colleges or other <laughs> filmmakers. Yeah, I do have the soundtrack album. There you go, there. yeah. Um, that was like released in 87. Um, That's awesome. Finally, but yeah, I think, uh, but uh, so Kenneth says that he has a print of it, right? Uh, with he, he says he has soundtrack. a print of it still. Yeah, with saying? the Jimmy Page soundtrack. Okay. And there is a print floating around because didn't, I mean, like, at the theater back in the day, wasn't that going to be screened, like the Jimmy Page version of the print? Uh, maybe. So maybe. I remember this story from, like, the you know, the Cine Family days of, like, that movie, mm. uh, a version of Lucifer Rising was going to be shown with the Jimmy Page soundtrack, but then wow. isn't that when... Yeah, you're like right. Someone showed up and seized the print or something like that, or like I don't know. Oh, was it wow. cease and desist lawyer stuff, and it, it didn't yeah. happen from Jimmy Page? Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, so it's a, so that, the, the print happen. is floating around, I guess, or there is a version of it out there. So maybe, um, maybe a few. But anyway, thank you for that because um, that is the only way that we're hearing, even to this day, right? Um, uh, yeah. The Page soundtrack the is sourced from the 16. Okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. like bootlegs wow. and everything, but. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, it's pretty droney. It's like that's that's like the vibe of it, right? Like it's a pretty droney, mm-hmm. drone heavy score. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's like synth things are run through an arp, you know, and there's like it's just kind of like a tambura going like doom, doom, like right. a like a rhythmic thing and just like it's yeah, it's super droney. You know, he only did, it was supposed to be, one of the fucked up things about uh, Lucifer Rising was it was supposed to be a feature. It was supposed to be a 90-minute movie. It's supposed to be 93 oh. minutes, actually. Holy shit. Some sacred numerology for Crowley. And wow. that's what Kenneth Anger was going around telling everyone, this is going to be my feature film, you know. Oh, so wow. Jimmy Page only gave him 20 minutes of music. Oh, but Jimmy Page's side of the story is like, well, hey, he never he wasn't finished. I wanted to, He wanted to score to the movie, you know. And, right, and Kenneth Anger oh, okay. saying like, well, he didn't give me enough music, but he also has said like, well, Jimmy Page was just too whacked out at the time. You yeah, know? And, yeah, which yeah, is very yeah. believable. And they talk about that in Hammer of the Gods yeah. too. Is basically saying that he was, yeah. you know, that's why presence is so rough. For part of the reason presence is so rough. That's why Jimmy isn't like really at the forefront of all of on Into the Outdoor. Like, he, like, he, like yeah. there's almost no. That's memorable right. guitar lines. I didn't do any writing hardly. So whacked so, out. But actually, just maybe, oh, just really tiny little thing is: um, did any thread uh, from the soundtrack wind up anywhere? Is it like in the evening? The, the Zeppelin song. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. Up? It does sound like that. It does sound like in the evening, or even maybe that that awesome dirgy part of Carousel Ombra or something. You know, it does sound like yeah. those like mm. not those ideas. I think were, were fed okay. into that. Okay. You know, that droney kind of thing. Okay. But it's not the actual recording. So. Okay, and then let's in let's the light, back. like the opening of in the light, maybe. That's what I was saying. Well, that was yeah, yeah maybe Before that was like seventy five, right? So it could be, I guess, but I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, so yeah, and and we should you know just because we're jumping around a lot of years here, we should circle back to Double B. But you know, it's like they met, I guess, in the early seventies. But just in terms of the process of Kenneth Anger working on this movie, I'm guessing it didn't really. It wasn't until what seventy six when jimmy page is sitting down to actually record music or is it all over the place i think it's earlier than that because like what i read from this awesome book that i have that i, I will recommend this book called bringer of light Anyone that's that cool wants to dig in deeper yeah, I, I need that anger's 
sort of just some yeah, awesome same. pictures in there and a lot of the anecdotes that I'm talking about I got from this yeah. book. So maybe Need we that. could link to that or something. But um, sure in the description, they, he, he says that they used it actually for about three years. That this was the uh, that that was the soundtrack. So I think he might have recorded it right away, but then didn't finish it. You know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. got it. Um, oh, gotcha. Um, well, let's okay. So JP Jimmy Page doesn't turn in the, the score and now Kenneth Anger's got to look elsewhere and now at this point Bobby Beausoleil is in prison he has he's as he killed, still is as he still is right now as we're talking which is crazy for killing Hinman and um, and so I guess they start a communication how, like how does it start where so Bobby it, does the score then so the, the the story that Jimmy Page got bounced off the project, uh, Kenneth Anger was very mad at Jimmy Page. Like they, they had a big breakup at the at the Bolskin house fight with his Jimmy Page's wife, Scarlett Page's mom or whatever. Not his wife, but his like girlfriend wow, or whatever. To be a fly They got in a wall. big argument. Jimmy Page had Kenneth right. like ejected from the property. And then Kenneth started this media campaign where he's like writing all kinds of nasty things in the press, putting the curse on him. It's all very public. There's a story in Variety that Jimmy Page is fired from the Lucifer Rising film. And uh, and then Bobby Bolsley is sitting in Tracy Correctional in facility on, you know, uh, he, he doesn't have the death. He escaped the death penalty because they, they ruled that as unconstitutional in California. He's just in life in prison. He reads the Variety article saying that Jimmy Page has been ejected wow. from the soundtrack. And he thinks, you know, maybe I should give Kenneth Anger a call. <laughs> so he called Kenneth Anger and wow. convinced him. He said, like, what if I could convince the warden to let me record the soundtrack to this movie while I'm still in prison? Wow. <laughs> and, and, and he's like PR dream right there, right? Like that's a PR <laughs> hook of a lifetime, right? I mean, to be able to like record. For which one? For which person? <laughs> well, <laughs> both. <laughs> Think about but, it. But, but <laughs> I know. But to be, able to, to be able to like say that the soundtrack of this movie, you know, is recorded in prison is just like incredible. I mean, that is one of the craziest but, parts. By a Manson this. murderer. Yeah, like yeah. insane. Hello. <laughs> yeah, hello. <laughs> okay. Well, no, Led Zeppelin says no ring Manson family member. Like, it's yeah, insane. Right. No, like, that it doesn't happen. Insane. Things like this don't happen. It's only know, in the this, 70s. This would make a cool movie, actually. And it's like the idea I of agree. like them, them like loading the gear into prison. Obviously, spoiler alert, mm -hmm. he gets the warden to agree to let him record this in <laughs> prison no, let him to to construct basically a prog rock band in, yes. in the yard yeah you know what i mean like there's synthesizer banks and oh, like you know yeah. like amps and stuff there's footage of this stuff he was the building the, the equipment you know like he had a, he had some decks and stuff but he would go to the shop and build like effects units to run the you know the Jeez. signal processing through and <laughs> wow there's like so work cool. detail on like pedal creation like that's amazing yeah, yeah. i mean Love tracy it. if you got to go to prison i think tracy correctional institute yeah. or correctional uh, sounds caveat, like a pretty good place. in the mid 70s okay uh, <laughs> after watergate and yeah. that was a very yeah. liberal time you yeah know, totally different, different so era. yeah incredible yeah, so, so just because the clock's dying here, he's he records this epic soundtrack. It's it's totally awesome. Very listenable. I love it. You know, I was yeah, jamming cool. out to it, jamming out to it a lot. It's definitely kind of Sabbathy. It gets a little. You know, prog rocky, a lot of synth. That's so good. Yeah, a lot of different feels there. It kind of makes it the took movie him five years. Five wow. years. Wow. Wow. 
So that's hence why it's coming out in like 19 when it's finally finished in like 80 or whatever. 80, right. You know, <laughs> right. Which is yeah. So like, this movie wow. that started like in swinging London or whatever. No, no, it's finally... turned in San Francisco. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. The uh, <laughs> Jefferson Airplane. <laughs> You know, yeah. it started like the white rabbit era of Jefferson <laughs> Airplane, and it ends up coming out after after punk already happened. After, after John like, Lennon's fourth album, uh, John Lennon's been already been dead. You know, John Lennon's already you know? been killed. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah MTV's dead. about uh, to, the germs to start. broke up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's crazy, yeah. dude. That is so yeah, crazy. It's insane. And then, and then it really didn't, or it had a whole other life on Mystic Fire Video or whatever the fuck. Mystic um, Fire Video. But yep. let's with the with the last Jesus Christ, six minutes. <laughs> we didn't uh, do this movie justice after well, all. It's funny. Well, it's it's backstory. It's backstory hell. I mean, you have to get it in. It's just backstory a fascinating. Bertha, man. The, the, yeah. the jacket. The jacket was designed by Kenneth Anger, but also by this woman, Judith Hahn. I forget her name. She was part of the, per, the, the her and her husband did the Sgt. Pepper album cover. Oh, um, oh, I didn't know that. Wow. So like they they put More up the, they were the designers on that. So she also did the jacket, That's, and she says it's all her. You know, all he, the wardrobe is all him. And, and Lucifer, yeah, totally. She said that Kenneth Anger basically said, "I want Lucifer to have a baseball jacket," which I do think is pretty wow. genius. That so is awesome. awesome. <laughs> that is pretty. It's cool. a great and, look. It's one of the greatest uh, uh, like wardrobe outfits ever. Yeah. That jacket. And, and, and by the way, when I I saw him. Uh, a few years ago, did I mention that here? You yes, said, yeah. uh, he was wearing that jacket. And yeah, he said the that. stoop. You know, um, but yeah. So we'll, we'll, just because the clock's dying, we should talk to one other just quick figure that's in this movie. We'll just talk about the movie for a minute. But like the guy who plays Osiris, you know, um, I think that's the male lead is Donald Camel. Yeah. Shout out! He's another person from the London scene who collaborated with mm -hmm. Nicholas Rogue and really progressive sort of filmmaker well, at the time with too. Mick Jagger on performance on performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And fascinating character. I'm sure we'll get into him much more in the future on future episodes yeah, of the show. But another person that touches uh, th this film, but I guess just to talk about the movie, I mean, you know, again, it's, it's sort of an, you know, it is an abstract sort of tone poem here at the end of the day, but it's, it is, it is amazing. There's great set pieces throughout the whole thing. I mean, you have like, I love all the fucking wide angle stuff, you know, with like the wizard running around in the circle mm -hmm. with the shit painted mm -hmm. on the floor. Really, when the film starts to get the prog rock jam session kicks in, uh, mm -hmm. I don't know, guys, fucking elephant stepping yeah, on the snake, like, you know. I love the tracking shot that's just going up and down, and we're seeing Lucifer come out with all these different makeups, like all of a, a entirely red face, a red a face that's like half mm -hmm. black, half white, or like stripes. You know, it, it looks it actually gets scary to me at that part once the ritual yeah. gets going once the magician who's actually using Aleister Crowley's like glass wand actually after he actually conjures Lucifer into the space it starts to get pretty scary to me you do see Jimmy Page's in the movie you oh. know uh, you oh. see him Marianne Faithful's in the movie um, uh, you know she's one of the major characters playing Lilith you know um, right uh, shot at this at this amazing like a uh, German rock formation that was used I in like pagan that. rituals and also used that. by the Nazis for like Hitler Youth like Whoa. you know uh, I don't think he, he didn't go there because that's why oh, but I know, that's, I know. it was this sort of sacred pagan spot that the Nazis More did popular. all that occult shit too right they so, love that uh, shit too <laughs> yeah Marcus um, well, talking about the film 
yeah. I just want to do a micro shout out to his montage work in general. I just rewatched it again today. And the thing that I was reminded of was, um, I guess his last three films, his 60s, you know, 70s film, Hear This. Uh, one thing that I really liked about him was his montage style had kind of a punk rock attitude towards the elements of his footage. And there's actually a lot of footage in all these three films, um, especially in uh, throughout Loose for Rising, that he didn't shoot. Like he would just grab science footage over here. Mm -hmm. He'd grab an old silent movie over here. He'd grab some garbage here. Scorpio Rising, same thing. He'd grab a really terrible like uh, B movie of Jesus over here. He'd grab this over here. He'd grab newsreel footage over there. And he had this great kind of punk rock collage style, which you guys know me. I personally, of course, love that. And mm -hmm. like, um, what I loved about that was it had a real kind of, again, punk rock's attitude where shit is not matching at all. Like, you know, it's a beautiful composed shot that he did, you know, like a day before. But then it's like next and then he cuts right to like a picture of a tiger from like a yeah, nature I love film. It. And, 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 and he's got his own bizarre internal uh, sort of math understanding of how this succession of image mm -hmm. images that he constructs is pulling you into having your own sort of visual ritual and, and, and being like transfixed by these, yeah. the strange this succession so cool of images. about it where there's no words in sight it's just visual strange depictions and he has this punk style though where he's just grabbing whatever image is interesting and important for him yeah taj awesome yeah the filmmaking is so great i mean, i think like it's to me i don't all the crowley shit i didn't even know till after i was a big fan of this movie you know what i mean like i just appreciate it on an aesthetic level for mm -hmm. the film for the filmmaking you know um there's just other levels if you're willing to go down that occult path but yeah, I love that. I love the the effects work in this film. There's this guy yeah. Wally Weavers that did the awesome titles. The titles are just like the I greatest, love the best. It's very 1980 rising in flames. It looks like Unarius. Actually, I was looking at Unarius a lot. That religious cult. Everybody, yeah, them up, yeah. Very visual. It looks I, this like guy, the beginning. This guy did the, the effects guy did. He worked on 2001 and like Superman <laughs> and like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. You know, he was like a legit effects guy that he yeah, got to come yeah. in and do. It, all of the like little it looks like the beginning of like a nine it looks like the beginning of a 1980 concert film that title exactly i know exactly what you mean yeah absolutely like on tape yeah yeah marcus take us home anything you want to get in before we're done well i just got a little wistful thinking about like what happened to this sort of filmmaker what happened to this sort of film you know and i think like in 81 mtv started and i think people that would make this sort of silent art film would just go down that path and become a music video director. And if you had Absolutely. something that was more obtuse and didn't have any pop culture grounding, you would go into the art world, you know? And I feel like that this world, I feel like this sort of, the world is missing that sort of Kenneth Anger type filmmaker now that can I be agree. someone that makes art films that, that, that are, have a pop, you know, Oh man, it's, but it's probably hard to make that out to be authentic now, you know, with the Xerox principle, but I hear you. <laughs> All right. Boom. That was it. One fucking hour on Lucifer Rising for Marcus's big birthday. I mean, man, yeah. there was a lot left we could have gone into. That was that the was backstory tough. birthday bash. That's wow. what I'm calling it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's so weird. The shortest movie and you don't and it's not it's by far not enough time to get into it. I know. know. It's I that know. backstory. Yeah, that backstory. Yeah. Maybe he's got backstory, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so stupid. I'm sorry. Oh <laughs> my god! Uh, I want my baby back story back. Um, all ah. right, so 
Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. But um, I, I had a blast. I mean, you know, look, there's so many cool... When you mentioned this movie, so many cool ass shit, so many awesome intersections. It's just such a huge... Yeah, I know. You know, hey, it's such a monster I would like to say, for, for further reading, I would say the book to get is Bill Landis's book called Anger. Uh, the late Bill Landis, he did Sleazoid Express. The, oh, yeah, uh, the, yeah, yeah. The classic I love that book. Like, grunge yeah. movie uh, in the 42nd Street um, zine, Sleazoid. Uh, Bill Landis b- knew and befriended, uh, you know, um, uh, Kenneth Anger, like in the 80s, kind of. Yeah. And uh, so it's a very, it's a great intimate portrait. I'm looking for my copy. I can't find it. But like Anger by Bill Landis, if anyone wants to further you know, uh, look into all this. Uh, that's the book, I would say. Great. And Marcus, show that other book one more time just so we can properly plug it here. Yeah, what is that? Well, I is saw it, it on thick? I, I, oh, I yeah. Got, I think somebody we know like, yeah. knows this author or something and it was, uh-huh. you know, released and they had like, a, anyway, there's an Instagram account maybe we'll link to that. There um, is, yeah. Oh, you, can, you can order that. it there. Yeah, Bringer of Light, The Making of that. Kenneth Anger's Lucifer Rising. Yeah, pretty sweet nice. shit. Might as well plug the record. That's, that's the Jimmy Page bootleg there. Yeah. Is that uh, yeah. in circulation in some way? Uh, I, if someone I wanted to get this? this was the, I think there are other versions of it, but the originally came out in 87 was like the first press of this. That's so, cool. Is um, that shit sealed or what? Yeah, it looks like it. No. No, oh, it's but got the it's very close. It. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm bad though. I open up my sealed records. No, that's cool. That's all good, it's man. It's pretty cherry looking. Yeah. Nice yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, nice. So, um, all right. Well, happy birthday, Marcus. Uh, great yeah, man, pick. guys. How Fun was to it? Rap about. Huh? That was great. It's better than I imagined. So, thank <laughs> you, guys. <laughs> well, start um, thinking about next year. Yeah, man. You got to, yeah, cook up something else for <laughs> I us. I got a um, list of rejects. Yeah, already. Oh, good. Um, all right. So, real quick, as we teased at the top of the show... Um, we were going to sort of announce what's next, uh, for one fucking hour. And we got to, you know, we, we mentioned we were going to do a fucking live show. So our live, our first ever one fucking hour live stream is going to happen. We got it. Here we go. Okay. The date and time, mark it in your calendars, put it in your notes app. It is going to be Sunday, May 21st at 7 PM Pacific, 10 PM Eastern, the three of us are going to go live on this YouTube channel. So if you're listening right. to us on Spotify or anywhere channel. else, you're going to have to get onto the YouTubes. We're doing our first live stream, and it's going to be very excited. We're going to throw back to an old favorite format that everyone here loves. It's tried and true. We're going to do one fucking hour on Movies We Hate Part 2 for our first <laughs> ever <laughs> live stream. So... Definitely make sure yeah. you're subscribed and ring the bell here on YouTube uh, to, to be notified when we are going to be going live. Again, the chat's going to be popping off. You know, we're going to be talking to you guys in yeah. the chat, you talking. know, and getting your input and stuff. So. The live Absolutely. cage match. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> Three guys walk in. You. Yep. Yeah. Three guys walk out. Yeah, exactly. But we want to <laughs> we want to hear from you. Hop in the chat. You know, we're, we're going to be talking about movies yeah, you yeah, guys hate, fun. movies we hate. We're going to be talking about a lot of stuff. So May 21st, it's Sunday. It's still just an hour, right? Mm-hmm. So we still have the constriction, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yep, that's right. But, uh, uh, but Sunday, May 21st, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. Be there. Be square. Um, and like I said earlier, please uh, subscribe to the channel. Leave a comment yeah. on any of our posts on social media or on a YouTube channel. And guess what, guys? While we were recording... 
we had a very epic comment roll in on one of our Instagram posts, which I'd like oh. to read. It was posted approximately... <laughs> like, like during this episode? It was posted right seven minutes ago. Um, oh. And I just want Uh-oh. to read this um, from Kenny Among Us uh, commented... Oh. Totally just spotted Tom riding his bike in Silver Lake while walking my friend's dog. <laughs> Uh-oh. And I'm sure Doc, you had your I'm sure I'm sure you had your docs. I'm sure you had your headphones on, but he said, "Hey, one fucking hour. Hey, Tom, no reply LOL. Yo, Tom, no love for the OHF fans. What a moment." Okay. 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 Okay, hold on. A, that's terrifying. B, uh, when I go out I don't do the world. I do the headphones. So if you're listening, uh, my apologies. They're Mm -hmm. small, weird little black headphones. And so they they disappear in my ear canal. So so, uh, I'm gone. I can't hear anything. And also, also, two things. I was in a super hurry because my chores were taking forever. (laughs) Because <laughs> I had to get to the show, baby, <laughs> you know, yeah. and uh, and do the well, do, just, you know. So uh, so yeah. it was like doubly fucked up. It was like I'm really late, and this guy's like going, and I'm like, I don't know, like I gotta go. <laughs> like, like, well, know, I'm like, just like, I'm just I'm just busting your balls. It's so a funny, funny comment. It's a no, real no, comment, no, no. but it's yeah. too funny. No, yeah. but like that is my explanation for um, homie. Yeah, yeah. So sorry about that. In yeah. a different circumstance, it'd be like, hey, what's up? You know. Yeah. Well, for sure. one fucking hour time. There he is. Um, yeah. So anyway, did, did uh, we say that on yeah. our new on our live show that we're going to announce? Like yes. our. Uh, yes. Thank you very much, Marcus. Uh, and, and and another reason to tune into the live program on Sunday the twenty first, May twenty first, is that we're going to unveil a new big announcement. We're going to have a huge announcement about uh, an some crazy shit that's coming up for the rest of the year. We're announcing an announcement right now. We're, we're announcing <laughs> that we're so going to be a big announcement on the live stream. You won't want to miss for guys. This is, this is the biggest thing we've ever embarked this is, on. This so is huge, huge. <laughs> this is huge. No, news. It's a big thing. It so you is. don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, guys. And, uh, Thanks so much for uh, hanging with us for this fucking hour, yeah. this episode. Marcus's big in. birthday. We're going to get back Thank to you. it hard after the... When's um, the next birthday app, though? The next birthday app will be me uh, in September. Right. So we got some time. Okay. So is time. It, it's metered out every few months, I guess. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's nice. It's every, really like a season. Three of the yeah. seasons are happening. Yeah. All right. Yeah, well, exactly. Forward to well, that. So that's so that's nice, and uh, we'll do that. We'll get to that. But of course, before we leave you, we cannot leave you without your moment of zen. And all right, everybody, have a great rest of your week, and we will see you for the live show. Very excited. We'll see you all live and in person on the YouTubes. Right. Take care. Thanks all right, everybody. In. See ya, Bye, guys. Ah. Oh, where's my? Hold on. Ah. <laughs> Did um, the decline in his guitar playing in um, 1976 have anything to do with his failure to to deliver your soundtrack? Right. Yeah. No. The, the reason why he didn't deliver the soundtrack was that he had a problem with the heroin, and that was interfering with his work. And uh, it, you know, I. I tried to help him get, get over it because it was really interfering with his life. Because he's a very wonderful person, and um, I think eventually 
I hope he, he has got over it now. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. <laughs> That was wicked, man.